You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. You know, we're in this series, we're, we're talking about prayer. And if you missed last week, man, I would encourage you, you can go on our website and listen to it on the podcast, or you can get on YouTube. We, on our YouTube channel, you can watch the, the, the uh, message video. And I would encourage you to go back to, and watch that as we talked about our authority specifically and a few other things. But today, we're going to be talking about the model prayer. And in, in, in the gospel, Jesus lays out this example prayer. You might know it as the Lord's Prayer, right? But, but it's called the, the model prayer where Jesus says, pray like this. And in fact, it was the disciples that prompted this entire thing. They were following Jesus, been with Jesus. And as they're following him around, they hear Jesus praying. And they're saying to themselves, that sounds different than how we pray. I don't pray like that. They knew how to pray. They, they, they had grown up in, in the way they were brought up. They knew exactly how to pray, but it was much more of a ritual and a religion. It wasn't so personal. And they would hear Jesus pray, and they, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray like you pray. Teach us to pray like you pray. And as we, as we talk in about a prayer series, I can't help but make sure that we cover when Jesus says, hey, pray like this. Must be pretty important, right? We should probably be talking about it. But the reason God put this entire message series on my heart is because of this crucial time in our world and in our nation right now. We have a super important election coming up. We have all of this stuff that's going on in our world with sickness and disease and, and lawlessness and all of this stuff. And more, more than ever, in my life, has there, we, has there needed the church to step up and to use its God-given authority and to pray for things to change and pray for God's will to be done? I heard this quote this past week, and I thought this was so good. It's a pretty famous quote, but it says this, History belongs to those who pray. History belongs to those who pray. The people that say, you know what, I'm not just going to stand over here and complain about it, do nothing about it. I'm going to pray about it and watch God work on my behalf. In fact, I would say this, that without prayer, either the weakness of human flesh or the viciousness of Satan's attacks will prevail. Without prayer, either the weakness of human flesh, meaning what? The weakness and the temptation of human behavior, our fallen man. This is why we have corrupt leaders, right? Corrupt, corrupt people that are leading nations down a path to hell. Why? Because they're lacking in prayer. Human flesh or the viciousness of Satan's attacks will prevail. God has the power to move and to change things, but praying is ours to do. He's given us the opportunity and the chance to pray. And unless we pray for the intervention of God's kingdom and, to, and if we walk in obedience to his word, if we don't walk in obedience to his word, nothing will change, not just in our lives, but in our world. I've got to pray for his kingdom to come, his will be done, and I've got to walk in obedience to his word, and then I can walk in expectation. God will move on my behalf. God will move to do his will. I'll show you more about that here in just a second. You know, as Jesus is laying out this model prayer, one of the things he says, though, is he's given these examples. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who go out and they pray on the street corner. They pray super loud so that everyone can hear them. He says, that's their reward. The only thing I'm going to give them is the attention that they're getting from other people. Jesus says, don't pray like them. Don't pray like people who, who do it for everyone else to see. But he goes and he gives a very serious um, task and command saying, pray 
like this. When you pray, we see it in Matthew 6, verse 6. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 6. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus says this. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What's he saying? He said, get alone. Get alone. Go close the door. Go to a place that's just you and God. Here's the promise from God. A lot of people live their life and they say, man, I just don't feel close to God. I don't feel God. Man, I just feel far from God. I just feel like I'm going to get back in church a little bit and then I'll feel God again. But can I tell you this? Don't trust your feelings. Trust God's word. Amen? Don't trust your feelings. Trust God's word. Why? Because Jesus himself promised, he said, what? Go to the secret place. And he says, when you go there, your father who is in the secret place, he sees you there. He's there with you. So if I need to be close with God, where do I need to go? I need to get alone. And I need to be with him. Secret place isn't some, uh, some place that you can just go, right? It's not an organization. It's not anything like that. What is it? It's a place that's for you and God. It's a time to get alone. Maybe you got to go in your room. Maybe you literally got to go in your closet, right? Maybe if that's where it takes to just get alone with God, that can be your secret place. He says, go to the secret place. But what I love is this, is God loves to publicly reward one-on-one time. He loves to publicly reward one-on-one time. It's what Jesus said. He said, when you go and you go with a genuine heart to, to, into the Father's presence and you pray to him, what happens? He says, your Father who sees in secret will reward you what? Openly. He wants to pour out blessing on your life, give you favor. He wants to move on what you've prayed about and what you've brought to him. Why? Because you brought it with a genuine heart. I'm not here for anyone else. I'm just here to be with him. And when I do that, what happens? He loves to reward it publicly and openly. Here's the thing, though, as we can read through this, I'm going to read the Lord's Prayer. You probably know it. You probably have it memorized. If not, you've probably at least heard it on a, on a movie or something. I'm going to read it, and then we're just going to talk about it. How does it apply to us? And it says this. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's talk about it. The first thing that we can learn from the Lord's Prayer is simply this, is that I need to approach God with humble confidence. If you're taking notes, you can fill in the blank. I need to approach God with humble confidence. You're going to see that word time and time again today, humble confidence confidence. What does that mean? We see that in Matthew 6, 9, as he starts, as Jesus starts this, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. First thing is this, our Father in heaven. I need to have confidence in my relationship with God when I approach him. I need to see him as my heavenly Father, as a perfect Father to me, because he is. In fact, in 1 John 3, 1, it says this, it says, see how very much How very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. When I put my faith in Jesus, what does he say? He says, come here. He's welcoming kids, us, his children, into his family. He says, I'm going to be your perfect father. But here's what happens. 
our view of our Heavenly Father gets skewed if we're not careful. It gets skewed by earthly relationships. Because there's many people who grew up, maybe they didn't have a dad. Maybe they grew up and their dad was there, but he was checked out. Maybe they grew up and they had a dad who was abusive. And every time you did something wrong, he smacked you over the head and said, stop doing that. Don't do that. You're worthless. And you have this strained relationship with your earthly dad. And now when you read God's word, you hear heavenly father. And when you hear father, the only thing you can think of is a strained relationship. Can I tell you what? This is why Christian men and Christian families are under attack by the enemy right now and in our world. Why manhood is under attack. Because the devil knows if he can skew and eliminate the fathers from the home, it's going to be tough for an entire generation to relate to their heavenly father someday. To relate to that. Why is that important? Your view of God will determine your relationship with God. Your view of God will determine your relationship with God. How you see him is how you're going to treat him. So when I come into his presence, if I'm praying and I, all I can see and I can picture in my mind is God up there with his arms crossed saying, well, you're praying, but I saw what you did just two hours ago. I heard what you were thinking just a few minutes ago. Come on, you're not worthy to be in my presence. Why should I answer your prayer? If I see God like that, I'll never have faith to expect him to move. If I see God as some faceless being somewhere in the clouds, he's far away I'll never experience intimacy with him like he wants. He wants to be close with you. He wants you to experience him personally, intimately. But how I see him determines how I'm going to treat him. It's going to set a, 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 a um, trajectory for my relationship with him. Our father in heaven. I got to be confident in my relationship with him. He's a good father. He loves me. He loves me. He's waiting to talk to me every single day. Second thing he says is this, hallowed be your name. We have to remember this. God is holy. He's a righteous God. He's a pure God. In fact, as we see this, as you read through the entire Bible, you see from the very beginning all the way through a reiteration of this, that he is holy, he is pure, he is righteous in everything that he does. It reminds me of the story of Moses in the burning bush. It's found in Exodus 3.5. And as Moses is going, God is using this, this burning bush to talk to Moses. Moses goes to approach this thing. What, what, what's going on here, right? And God says, stop. And look at this. He says, take off your sandals. Take your sandals off from your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Holy ground. He says, hang on here, bud. You don't even know what you're coming close to. He is so holy that he said, you need to be careful how you approach me. Now, this is obviously before Jesus ever came. Praise God for Jesus and where we live in 2020 because I can now run to the Father and be wrapped in his arms and he, we can have intimacy. But in the Old Testament, look at this. Jesus is showing us, he, look, God is holy. And in this, God is showing us that approaching him physically, even with a quarter inch of leather sandal under your feet, is too self-heightened. Take those sandals off, bud. You're on holy ground. Humble when I approach him. Humble confidence. Take those sandals off. 
And it reminded me of this, hallowed be your name. When was the last time that I humbled myself physically in his presence? When's the last time I really got on my knees to pray? It's easy whenever life's a mess, right? When, when, when the devil's attacking, when there's sickness, when death is knocking at the door, it's easy to get on your knees. But a great practice of humbling ourselves in God's presence is to get on our knees regular, physically. If I can be transparent for a moment. Some of the most intimate times when I've heard God's voice the most clearly in one-on-one time with him is not just when I was kneeling, but when I was laying on my face in my living room with my hands up in his presence saying, God, speak to me. Humble myself. God, I know, I know who you are. I know who you've made me, but I want to honor you by humbling me. God loves that. He loves that. He's holy. He's holy in how I approach him. Why is this important? Jesus talked about this later in Matthew 23. He said this, Matthew 23, 12. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. When I need my heavenly father to exalt me, what, what is that? To lift up. When I need him to lift up, when, when, when the weight of life is wear, weighing me down, when I need him to say, hey, let me help you, what do I need to do? I need to humble myself. Another translation says to sit down. I'm going to sit in his presence. God, I need you. And he says, let me lift you up, son. Let me lift you up, daughter, and help you. The opposite, though, is true. If I come in and I have not humbled myself, what will he do? I've lifted myself up. Uh, God, here's what I need. I need, I need this. If you could take care of that, if you could bless this food, that'd be great. All right, we'll see you in a, you know, a week or two. And I leave. What, is God, what does Jesus say he'll do? He'll humble you. He will sit you down spiritually. It's a, good, it's a good reminder. It's a good warning. I would rather humble myself than have God come in and humble me. It's a great reminder. The second thing we can learn is this, that we need to pray for his agenda first and my agenda second. His agenda first, my agenda second. Here's where we see that in Matthew 6. We continue in the Lord's Prayer. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where does he start? Your will, your kingdom come. He says, we need to pray for God's will. And can I tell you this? God's will is not a mystery. It's not something that, ah, I just don't know, like, Lord willing, I don't know what his will is. I don't know what he's going to do. It's not a mystery. God is not hiding his will from you. He's not keeping it secret to keep you guessing. He wants you to know his will, and his will is his word. When I read his Bible, his word, it is his will for my life. He doesn't want to hide it. How do we know this? Because we're commanded to pray his will. In 1 John 5, 14 through 15, it says, now this, now this is the confidence that we have in him, in God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. How can I pray his will if it's a mystery? In Romans, what are we called to do? We're called to live out the perfect and pleasing will of the Father. How can I live it out if it's a mystery? It's not. It's found in his word. 
And when I read his word, I can pray for his will to be done. So when life comes, I can compare it. Life says this. God's word says this. Which one is going to be God's will? His word over the situation. His word over the situation. And then what does he say? He says, on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here's where people get confused. Many times we settle or we cheapen the gospel and we say, well, Jesus died on the cross for me. He was raised again so that I can go to heaven someday. And I got my passport, got my passport to heaven. And I'm going to live my life and when I die someday, I'm going to show this to the angel at the gate and I'm going to go in. Can I just be honest? That's cheapening the gospel. Jesus didn't just die to get you into heaven someday. He did do that. You will go to heaven. He didn't just do that, though. He died and was raised again to get heaven into you today. That's the difference. That should be encouraging <laughs> to all of us. It's not some distant thing. God, your kingdom come someday. Your will be done someday. No, when we look at the original Greek, it's Jesus saying, pleading, no, God, your will be done right now. Your kingdom is coming as we go. What, we, what did Jesus say? Tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. It's with us. It's not someday. We carry it. It's with us. It's not a someday thing. He said he, he came to, to heaven into you today. So this helps me clarify what's God's will. What's God's will? Heaven. So, is there cancer in heaven? Nope. There's not. Is there any pain in heaven? Is there darkness in heaven? Is there depression in heaven? Is there murder of innocent lives in heaven? Is there addiction in heaven? No. Is there sickness of any kind in heaven? No. What did Jesus say? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do I know what to pray for? When I read his word, I know that I'm not going to settle for anything the devil brings me. What am I going to do? I'm going to compare it to his will. I'm going to pray his will over whatever's coming on earth. I'm going to make earth bow its knee to heaven. I'm not going to wait for me to get to heaven so I can, ha, ah, I made it. No. He's got good things for you today. Today. Our prayers are effective when we pray for his will. When he hears us, what does it say? We have the petitions that we've asked of him. The things we've asked of him, he wants to give you. But here's the question. If all my prayers were answered from this past week, would it change my world or would it change the world? Looking at every prayer I prayed this past week, from Monday to Saturday and this morning, would it change the entire world? Would it change my city? Would it change my family? Or would it just change my world, my life? My life got really good, but the world's going to hell around me. God wants you to widen your range of prayer. He says, pray for my will. You know what his heart is? The lost, the broken, the people that are far from him. He says, are you praying for the big things in life to change to what I want to do? 
his agenda first, but then what? My agenda second. That's why in Matthew 6, 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to pray for his agenda. Big things. God, your will be done in this situation, but I'm also going to bring my needs. God, your word says you supply all of my needs. I'm going to bring them to you. Give us this day our daily bread, the things I need to survive. I need to ask him for help. I need to ask for his involvement, for his influence in every area of my life. Every area. God, help me. God, be a part of what's going on in my life. And can I take it a step further? I need to ask, especially for his help, in the areas that I think I can handle myself. I'm good at that. Uh, He's gifted me to do that. I can kind of do that on my own. Humble myself. He will exalt me. God, I know that I, I have a gift for this, but God, I want you to help me even get better than I am on my own. I don't want to go if you're not with me. Help me in every area of my life. God will not be second to anyone or anything. He won't be second to anyone or anything. So here's what I would say. If God's not first in it, he's not in it at all. I want God to bless some area of my life. Have I brought him into it? Have I made him first above it? If God's not first in my finances, he's not in it at all. And my finances may be looking great, but can I tell you with God's hand on it, he can do more when he blesses it than you ever could on your own. If God's not first in my relationships, if God's not first in my marriage, When I put him first, he blesses it. Where do we see this? Jesus talks about this at the end of Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, 33, he says this. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything. Everyone say everything. Say it like you mean everything. Everything that you need. Man, what do I need? God, give us this day our daily bread, my needs, the things that I need to move forward just to survive, and the things that I need to do life how you've commanded me to. How do I get that? Above all else, I seek him first. He won't be second. First. And when I live righteously, what is that? Live holy and, according, and, and obey his word. What happens? He gives me everything that I need. Here's the next one here. Jesus continues in the Lord's Prayer, and he shows us this, that I need to get my heart right with God and people. When I pray, I got to get my heart right with God and with people. In Matthew 6, 12, he says this. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forget, forgive our debtors, our transgressors. Forgive us our transgressions. I need to constantly be asking the Holy Spirit for help. Help me live righteously. God, help me live holy as you are holy. If you're living in me, help me. Walk that way. Help me live in righteousness, free from sin. But if I sin, what do I do? I need to run to my Father for forgiveness. Here's what happens, right? I'm living. I went to church. I'm doing good, and I'm I'm living my life. Ah, then I sinned, and I messed up. I did something I know I shouldn't have done. I know that it was sin. Now I feel guilty. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a few days. I'm going to not sin for a few days, and then I'm going to go pray and ask for forgiveness because I feel good enough 
to be in God's presence again. Can I tell you that's the exact opposite of what God wants for you? Jesus shares a story of this son who went out and he lived in sin. And whenever he finally came to his senses, he went back to his father. And the father didn't slap him and say, you're no good. You're not even going to be my son anymore. You're going to be over there. You can just be a slave somewhere. His, his father looked at this son who was filthy, who wasted his money. And he looks at him and he says, man, son, I love you and I've missed you. What took you so long to come to me for forgiveness? And that's what God says to you. Don't wait a few days to get back in his presence. When I mess up, what do I do? I need to run to him and say, God, I need your forgiveness. This is why point number one is so important. How I view God will determine my relationship with him. Because if I think he's just going to beat me over the head and throw a bunch of trials in my life, I'm not going to go back to him. But God's word says this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, look at this, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the promise. What do I got to do? I got to run to him and get my heart right with God. And so I have to daily be asking God to search me. Holy Spirit, help me. Am I hiding something? Am I callous to a sin in my life that has just been a part of my life, but I need to get rid of it so I can move forward spiritually? Show me so I can deal with it. God, cleanse me. Help me live pure as you are pure. Help me live that way. But the second part is just as important. I need to daily ask God to soften my heart for other people. Soften my heart for other people. Because I know we joked around about the sticker earlier on our car, right? How I many you know people are going to do you wrong? They're going, to mess, they're going to mess with your life. They're going to cause hurt in your life. They're going to try to offend you. They're going to let you down. Our faith is not in people. It's in God. But here's what I have to do is I have to guard my heart because bitterness and an unforgiving heart, it is a poison that will slowly eat away and ruin my life. But it has no effect on the person that wronged me. I'm over here and I say, well, I haven't talked to that person in seven years because they said this to me that one time. I'm bitter and I'm mad about it. Meanwhile, they're over here and they've been living their life for seven years and they didn't even know they said something wrong to you. So whose life is affected? This guy. I'm mad about it still and I'll show them. Well, you're probably not showing them, okay? They probably don't know. I need to forgive them. That's what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus took it a step further and he actually lays out this very strict and very serious commandment and reality and truth for our life. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. This is right after the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Why? He's righteous, He's holy. No darkness, no sin can be near him. So it's not just important so that my life can be better. I'm going to walk and forgive people. No, it's so that I can expect to receive the same thing from my Heavenly Father. I forgive others, even if they don't deserve it, because God forgave me when I didn't deserve it. I forgive others. I forgive other people. Last, or the next one is this, confront the enemy. Confront the enemy. Jesus shows this in the, in the, in the uh, Lord's Prayer. Confront the enemy. In Matthew 6, 13, here's what he says. He says, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. A couple things here. Don't lead us into temptation. Number one, that's an inaccurate English translation 
God doesn't lead people into temptation. When you look at the Greek word and you study it, it actually, that phrase is better read, God lead us away from tempting situations. Lead us away from tempting situations. God doesn't lead people into temptation, but he wants to help you get out of them. In fact, Paul clarifies this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He says basically the same thing, but it, it talks about it a little bit more. He says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others face or experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And here it is. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. It's exactly what Jesus said in the original language. Lead me out. Help me get out of this tempting situation God, you've sent your helper, the Holy Spirit, to help me, so I ask for your help. But then what does he say? He says, protect us or keep us from, deliver us from the evil one. James 4, 7 says this, so humble, there it is again, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Promise, resist the devil and he will flee. I'm not going to talk about this a ton today, how to resist the devil. If you want, go back to last week's message. Watch that as we talked about our authority and how we have authority over the devil and his demons because we are in Christ. But I have to ask the Holy Spirit to give me boldness and power to resist the devil so that he will will flee and run the opposite way. The last one is this as I close. When I'm finishing, when I'm talking to God as I wrap up, I need to finish with humble expectation. Humble expectation. Because many times we pray, I can pray and just cross my fingers. All right, I did my part. Cross my fingers. Hopefully God will move. If it's God's will, he's going to do something about it. But we can actually pray with expectation that he will move on our behalf. At the end of Matthew 6, 13, it says, Jesus says, for yours, God, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Humble expectation is this. My prayers are answered not because of how hard I tried. My prayers are answered because of how good God is. He gets the glory. It's not me. I just did my part and I prayed according to his will and he hears his will and he moves to do his will in my life. It's a promise from him. Ephesians 3.20, it says this. It says, Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. He wants to move in your life. But who gets the glory when he does? He does. All glory to God. Not look at me, look what I got. No, look at how good God is and look at how he moved in my life. Hey, guess what? He wants to do the same for you. That's how we pray. That's when I leave his presence, that's what I expect. It's not about me, God, but I know you want to move on my behalf. As I mentioned earlier, we're, we are starting these things called community groups. And the content comes from our message. I like to give some reflection questions and, and some action steps. The reflection questions are are this right up here. We'll throw them up here. They're also on your notes. But this week, I want us to ask, ask ourselves to share with a friend or share with a spouse, where's my secret place to pray? If I'm expecting God to answer my prayer, what does he say? God rewards those openly who seek him privately. 
Do I have a place that I'm going consistently? Have I been praying God's agenda or my own? If all my prayers were answered, would my world change or would the world change? Is there someone I need to forgive? It's been years. I haven't talked to that person. I got Every time I think about that person, it just puts a little, ugh. Do I need to let it go so God can even more so work in my life? Have I been praying with expectation or am I praying with fingers crossed? God, I hope you do something. Which one am I praying with? The action step, a step is simple. Every day, spend time in the secret place with God. That's what Jesus said. Spend time in the secret place with God. Whenever we pray like Jesus commanded us to, we can expect the results that Jesus had because he always prayed the perfect will of the Father. God wants to move in your life. He wants to move in your life, but many times he's sitting there saying, man, I could do so much more if you just had the faith to ask me. If you had the faith to ask. Let's be a people that pray with humble expectation. Let me pray really quick. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. And God, I thank you that as we seek you and as we humble ourselves in your presence, as we pray, as Jesus commanded us to pray, I thank you that you move on our behalf. We thank you in advance. We give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second? If you're in here today and you say, Pastor Dan, I need God to move in my life. I want God to move in my life. But maybe, maybe you don't really have that relationship with God like you need to, as we talked about today. Maybe you're in here and you say, Pastor Dan, I, I used to walk with Jesus, but I really haven't been. I've kind of drifted. I've been doing my own thing, but I want to be serious about it. I want to recommit my life to Jesus today. I'd like to pray with you. If you're in here and you say, Pastor Dan, I've never done that. I don't even know what that means to walk with Jesus or to commit my life to him. I would love to, to pray with you as well if you want to make that decision. If that's you for either one of those, you did it one time and you're ready to be serious or maybe you've never done it, but you want to for the first time, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you do anything weird or come down front. I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down if that's you? Man, I need that today. I need that prayer today. I'm ready to be serious today. Awesome. Here's what we're going to do. Right now, I'm going to say a prayer up here on stage. And I want everyone in here, no one prays alone. I want everyone in here to say this prayer after me. This isn't just a religious thing. We say this and we believe it in our heart. And God says, if you do, then you can be a part of my family. I'll welcome you in. I'll welcome you home. Would you pray this with me? Everyone in here, say this after me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to come to this earth and to die on a cross for me. I believe that you raised him from the dead. Right now, Jesus, I make you the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Make me clean. Be the king of my life. I am saved. I am a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.